everybody, welcome to episode 167 of Up for Discussion, an emotionally honest comedy podcast where we take your questions and dish out hot truths and tasty goofs, except today it's going to be a little bit different because uh, we don't have audience questions. I'm actually just doing a phone interview with author and speaker Austin Channing Brown, uh, whose new book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness, comes out today, May 15th. Uh, yeah, Austin, thanks so much for calling in. I'm super looking forward to chatting with you today. Thanks so much for having me. So just to uh, give our audience a bit of context, uh, you speak a lot about racial justice and about right. the experience of being a black female Christian in a middle class white America. Uh, right. Can you? Is there any other sort of stuff that you want them to know about you before we dive in? And no, that pretty much covers it. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah, I was uh, I was reading I was reading the book because uh, your publicist sent me an early copy PDF. Oh, and, good. Uh, man, it is heavy. <laughs> there's yeah. there's it's some a lot heavy happening stuff. In there. Yeah, I like. So so when we agreed to do this interview, I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna like <laughs> how to approach this stuff because like I am a white man and right. and like I'm the villain in your book basically. <laughs> I like to think I'm a better a better white man than than the villains of your book, but like essentially that's what it is, right? And I was like, crap, how do I like do this interview? How do I do this? And it sort of sunk in and I was like, you know what? I think the best thing I can do is just like give you a platform to tell us what like you mm. what you want to talk about, right? And like just sort of let things go from there. So I'm gonna let you do that and I'm gonna sort of try not to make an ass of myself on the way. <laughs> You know what? Unfortunately, I think making asses of ourselves is just part of the journey and (laughs) it's going to be okay. We're all going to learn and grow together. We're going to be brave today. (laughs) That's it. That's it. I think I think (laughs) making an ass of yourself is kind of human nature, right? Right. Yes. It's part of growth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One of the one of the things that sort of just sort of diving into the book a little bit, I I was just sort of floored. I had to I had to take a coffee break after reading this chapter. Uh, at some point, you describe a class trip where you went to what was essentially a, a lynching museum. Yeah. That is nuts. Why does that exist? <laughs> I know. I think it was so I think it was a traveling exhibit. I think it was what it was. I keep calling it a lynching museum, but that's right. because, um, uh, you know, it was two days with no sleep and right. that's in my mind. That's what it was. Um, but I think it was a traveling exhibit that just happened to be, um, in that city that time. Right. Um, and good Lord, did it mess us up? It messed all of us up. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you had to go take a break because <laughs> knows we did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no kidding. Right. Like that's, it's one of those things where, you know, people talk about going to visit Holocaust museums and the Anne Frank right. house and stuff. And right. I'm like, I don't, I know these are important parts of history. I don't want to see them. I don't want to experience them. Oh, That's... It's, it's rough. It's rough. Yeah. Um, I I have to say I am glad that I went because as, as a black woman, I think it was the first time 
um, that whole trip was the first time that I really connected emotionally with my own history Mm. because, you know, my parents were alive when King was assassinated. Right. You know, like they remember the TV station changing. They remember the announcement. Like, like black history is inherently emotional for them because they watched it unfold. right? Right. But for those of us who were on the other side of the civil rights movement, um, we had certainly been taught about it. We were certainly prideful, you know, of, of what our ancestors had done and those who worked in the civil rights movement. But I'm not sure that the emotion went beyond pride. Right. Right. And so being at that museum and looking at those photos was, um, yeah, it was just incredibly, incredibly emotional experience. Yeah. Jeez. I, I can't even imagine like that's, yeah, it's, it's so heavy and it's such a reminder of like how much better things are now, but how much progress still needs to be made. Yeah. 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 yeah I, um, <laughs> I was, um, just thinking about this today. Um, you know, the trip was, you know, easily a decade ago. Um, but what still sometimes still punches me in the gut, um, that I didn't know until that trip. So I knew that like lynchings had happened and I knew what they were vaguely. Um, but it wasn't until that trip that I realized how celebrated they were. Right. Jeez. So I think, I, I mean, I think I had always assumed that it was still under the cover of darkness that, you know, nobody talked about it afterwards. You know what I'm saying? Right. there were like postcards and community announcements and photos. I was like, wait a second. This was like, this was like a party. Oh God, like, yeah. That's no, crazy. You know, and so just coming face to face with the history that we don't talk about, you right. know, um, it, it was in a strange way. It was helpful. It was really helpful. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's crazy to think about. Like, because, yeah, you, you'd think that kind of thing would be like, you know, they did it, but at the end of the day, they felt kind of gross about it. But no, yeah, they... Like there was some sort of shame attached, you know? Yeah. <laughs> even, even just a small amount of shame would be just nice. A yeah. Just a Jeez, no kidding, man. And it wasn't even that long ago, too, is the thing that's, that's right. easy to forget. Right. I mean, we have pictures. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Three photographs. That's <laughs> it. Have... Like pictures, I I remember looking into it last year at some point, and the first camera was invented sometime after George Washington died. But, but that just means like you know sometime in the last two hundred years still, right? And that two hundred years is like a tangible amount of time. Like we can we can think about that and and visualize that. Yep. Man, that's insane. Yeah, I really want to go to um, Brian Stevenson's museum. Have you heard about this? I haven't. No. Yeah, Brian Stevenson um, from Equal Justice Initiative, he just opened a new museum last week in Montgomery, Alabama. Okay. That is dedicated to the lives of folks who were lynched. Okay. Yeah, so you guys should check that out if you get a chance. That's Brian Stevenson, you said? Yep, Brian Stevenson. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Yeah. So it's it's more, um, it's dedicated to the people as opposed to, to the practice, I guess? Right, 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 right. Yeah. So um, I've only seen pictures. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to the opening. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think he essentially created like statues or monuments to okay. honor the folks. 
And then I think there's, you know, lots of learning that, that can be done along the way. Um, but I'd, I'd love to go. I haven't been, um, for sure. Yeah. 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 If anyone is interested in that history, I think, I think it's the first one, the first museum to be dedicated to that part of American history. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's good to, I think that's the right, the right type of museum to do as opposed to like you you don't want it to be something that showcases what was done you want it to be a memorial right you want it to be sort of showing the people and and talking about the people who are lost so that we can have a reminder of of what that takes from us right it's really helpful to humanize yeah yeah to it which i think um you know american history though short you know though we're a fairly new country um there's still a lot to to know and to unpack a lot of names to to learn you know Mm -hmm. and so anytime that that we can humanize um sort of a a large atrocity you know i think it's just it helps us wrap our minds around it absolutely Um, yeah well it's like the uh is it a wall that has all of the holocaust victims names written on it I'm not sure. I feel like that's a thing. I, I I think I remember something to this effect. I'm. I certainly yeah. hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, really yeah. hope so. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I mean, you're a church person. Presumably, some yeah. of the churches you've been in have big plaques that say these members of oh, our congregation. Yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> it's it's such a it's a staple of old churches to have a big plaque telling you who in the congregation died in which war. <laughs> it's, it's true. Well, it's true. Yeah. Or the big gigantic photo, the painting. Oh yeah. <laughs> Every pew is dedicated to a different person who fought in the war. And, <laughs> there you uh, go. There yeah. you go. A thing uh I was I was watching a video that um that you made for uh I believe the Christian Creative Writing Federation. I made have might have totally made that name up. Uh that talks about um using anger to yeah. put things out into the world creatively and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah can can you talk on that idea a little bit yeah yeah so as a black woman you might be surprised to find that my anger is not always well received um when I talk about justice <laughs> and and there's even a name for it you know the angry black woman um right. so that it's like real easy to dehumanize and dismiss anger right um and so uh, um I don't know. I guess I hesitate to say a lot of black women because I don't have statistics on this. Sure, but, yeah. <laughs> um, I would say it's not unusual for black women um, to um, to be derided for for being angry. You know, to be mocked, to be dismissed, to mm-hmm. um, to be told that they need to repackage <laughs> their anger so that they can be heard. You know, right? Um, maybe if you just toned it down, or maybe it was the way you said it. Um, you know, maybe if you said it nicer, maybe if you were more polite, maybe you were more civil, maybe if you were right. So all these ways to like tone down the anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it wasn't until I read a book called sister outsider by Audre Lorde. Mm-hmm. Um, and what she, which is a collection of essays. And one of her essays is called the uses of anger. Mm-hmm. And in that book, she begins to unpack, um, how, anger is not inherently destructive. Right. Um, right. That anger can be a force for good. Um, if, if that's how we decide to channel it, (laughs) which we, you know, sometimes we do can't be destructive, right. It's just that, um, it isn't inherently bad. Right. Um, 
And while that shouldn't be a revelation, it really was. Mm -hmm. It was a revelation to me that um, that I didn't need to be afraid of my own anger, mm. that I could push back on this idea that I needed to tone it down in order to be heard. Mm. Um, and as I, as I started to like think back over even my own life, I was like, oh, it's true. Like I joined that group because I was angry. I attended that <laughs> meeting because I was angry. We started that organization because we were angry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, things I have created that started with anger. Totally. Yeah. That resonates a lot with me because I, I had sort of, I had a falling out with somebody last year that, uh, mm -hmm. I, I could have let that just sort of make me super bitter and, and kind of shut in on myself and focus on like screwing him over. And instead yeah, I was yeah. like, well, now I'm just going to take all this time that I don't have to spend thinking about him anymore and put it toward <laughs> getting things done. And, and right? that kind of fueled me for a really long time until, you know, right. Yeah, and 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 you're right. It can be so, it can be so liberating to take something that you think of as negative and and right. push it into something good. Right, right, right. And so she said, I really like. I'm gonna misquote her a little bit here. This is definitely paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. um, but she says something to the effect that um, our anger reveals to us that something unjust has occurred. Right. Right. So it's like evidence that something is broken. And so if you can channel that anger into then fixing, building, you know, replanting, uprooting, like if you can <laughs> channel that into something, right, that's healing or healthy. Um, you should. Yeah, that that's yeah. all it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that, that something went wrong somewhere and we ought to do something about it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's it, right? It's, you know. Yeah. Like, I, you, you even, you see that a little in the Bible, like, um, right. So, so like this isn't a Christian podcast, but like I, you know, used to be a church person. I'm, I'm still yeah, a yeah, church yeah. person, but I used to be a youth minister in a previous life. And, Shut uh, up. Yeah, <laughs> fell away from that a while that. ago. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's still my my faith is still a part of me, and uh, and yeah. I I remember all of the stories, and I still you know go to church and read the Bible regularly, and uh, sure, sure. and and it talks about God's wrath, right? And we we think I about mean, this like very regular basis yeah exactly <laughs> and and like we hear about this angry old testament god and we we see this angry old testament god as like ooh, you know he gets a bad rap for that but i think that <laughs> that anger is it's exactly as you're saying he sees that something is wrong and he goes well shit i gotta fix this now and right. he floods the earth right and we can't flood the earth but but we can do other yeah. things right <laughs> <laughs> i mean we could i guess we could it just might yeah, take a while well, true. Yeah, that's true. There's probably better uses of our water. Yeah. That's um, it. <laughs> um, yeah. And in, in her, in this essay too, she talks a lot about, um, how our anger can be used collectively. Right. So she even mm. moves beyond like the individual, um, what should I do with my anger? Um, and has this really interesting conversation about how our collective anger um, can fuel collective action. Hmm. Um, and I love that idea too, because I think, I think on some level, that's what happens in every social movement, right? People right. are agree that their rights are being denied and then they collectively, right, come and take action together. Hmm. And so I really love that image too, that our anger doesn't just have to remain individual, but that it can be collective. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that I, that I often notice is, a lot of the most popular musicals are ones about some type of revolution taking place. 
True. Um, so if you look at, I mean, Hamilton obviously is like, yes. that is the first big revolution in America, right? Uh, right? But then even on a smaller scale, you look at like Newsies is a story yep. about the newspaper yep. revolution. Les Mis mm-hmm. is a story about the French Revolution. Uh, that was the first one that came to mind. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and all these stories share that common thread of the underdogs saying, hey, fuck this and, and trying to push for something better. And yep. And those are the stories that that we love to hear, right? Because they're stories that we understand. Yep. Yeah, and 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 it just it blows my mind sometimes that we don't get more revolutions happening in real life because of how much we like to see them happening in the media. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I wish I had more to say. I, <laughs> other than cosine. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I wish the thought went further than that. It's it's really more just an observation of like, we really like this in musicals. Why don't we do this in real life? I completely <laughs> agree. You know what? I think it's because everyone thinks that they're the underdog who's a part of the revolution. I think that's sure. what's happening. At least right now. I don't know if that's always been the case. Right. But I think right now, every <clears throat> political side is like, <laughs> you know, like I, yeah, you're, I don't, I don't think it qualifies the underdog, but they're like pretty convinced. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure even in some small part of him, Donald Trump probably even thinks of himself as the Did underdog, right? Say? Right? That's the thing, right? It's 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 I hard think. to it's hard to imagine him complexly, but like there's complexity in there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's easy for me to laugh about that because I'm north of the border, but <laughs> <laughs> not fair. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, another another thing that kind of sunk in for me while reading this was um, you you tell a story, and I think in the first chapter even uh, about how your parents uh, chose to name you Austin, and how at some point you realized that people in interviews would always assume that you were a white man until they met you and be really thrown off. Mm-hmm. Has that ever been funny? Like, has there ever been a time when that happened and you like get to smirk about it a little bit, or is it always frustrating? Only. Yeah, I'm gonna tell the truth. Only when, <laughs> only when it's um like a black person who's relieved that I'm not white. <laughs> so I had this one class that I was teaching, and all she had ever seen was a graphic about the class, right? Mm-hmm. And then my name, but there was no graphic of me. And so she was like, she came in, and she was like, "I'm so glad you're a black woman." And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I only saw your name and I thought you were a white guy, but I was going to come and give it a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I definitely laughed aloud. (laughs) Yeah, that's 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 fair. Yeah. So, yes, when people are pleased to find that I'm a black woman, I would say that's when it's funny. Otherwise, it's just like, here we go again. Yeah, fair (laughs) enough. And people are rarely like impolite. In fact, most people are like, "Wow, that's such a cool name." You know, it's it's not it. It rarely becomes like a, um, like a volatile situation, right? Um, but I do know to prepare myself for it. Generally speaking, yeah. I mean, fair enough. I guess after it happens once or twice, you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, like I know it's coming. Yeah, it's right. not often an emotional experience for me anymore. Yeah. Although there was this time that I um had like called to place an order somewhere just to like pick up some food. Right. And like the person on the other end of the phone had like a million questions about my name. They were like, so is this for someone else? Huh. Nope. Is this Austin? Yep. So who's coming to pick it up? Austin. You know, like just very 
not making the connection right i am awesome this is my order and i am coming to get it <laughs> <laughs> so i walk in and it's a guy whose name is mckenzie <laughs> i was like i got a lot of nerve <laughs> yeah no kidding <laughs> she is <sighs> yeah we we have this this new thing here where um our prime minister uh instituted something where uh the canadian government service agents who call houses for various things aren't allowed to assume anybody's gender based on their name anymore Mm -hmm. Uh, which i think is really great but also has led to some hilarious confusion because there was a a brief time i think maybe they've fixed this by now where they also weren't allowed to use words like mother and father and grandfather and grandmother so they had to say you know your um parent but then in order to ask for things like your mother's maiden name, they had to say your your parents' maiden name. But it, it gets really confusing because it's like, well, these these lang- these words have meanings for a reason. And we ask for these things specifically to identify specific people. And it got really muddy and confusing. And it's kind of fun that that's the that's the most complicated things ever get here. That's really interesting. I I have never thought about that. See, this is my privilege as a cis person that have never really thought about like once you get to grandmother and grandfather that's fascinating right well that's it right it's you know when you when you're not someone who has you know, yeah preferred pronouns you don't really yep. think about how complicated yep. it gets but it's so true yeah. but that's it and and so even the government like you know our our government is pretty liberal and has been trying to sort of streamline stuff to make it a little yeah. easier for people and more inclusive yeah but every once in a while, it trips up a little bit, and it's fun I to watch. Bet. I um, I think it's so fun um, to be having like a national conversation about how inclusive we can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that is that is such a lovely thought. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure you guys will get there eventually. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> If it's any consolation, there's a lot of backlash against it here as well. Is there? Yes. Oh, is yeah. There? There's there's super conservative parts of Canada, just as much okay. as there are in okay. the States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just lucky enough to not be in one of them. Well, listen, <laughs> that is something to to be grateful for. <laughs> I'm Julian McKenzie, co-host of the Scrum Podcast, a sports show I'm doing with my podcasting partner in crime, Tristan Damore, on the UpFord Network. Every week, we analyze something different from the Canadian sports media landscape. Lack of diversity, getting a job in the field, coverage of different sports, and answering some of the harder questions. Through a combination of back-and-forth discussion and high-profile guest interviews, we're aiming to figure out exactly what's up in the world of sports. Find us wherever podcasts are sold. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, Message in a Bottle, Morse Code, Telegram, Singing Telegram, Target, Walgreens, Bird's Nest, Dad's Shed, and a crowded convention center bathroom. Hi, I'm Tristan Damour. You might know me from the Scrum Podcast. Hi, I'm Harrison Mulo-Rajason. You might know me from, uh, anyway. So we're here to tell you about a new podcast miniseries called Hebenus Pod. It's a show about HBO's The Young Pope. Every episode, we'll feature a guest viewer to talk about an episode. Will they have a fresh perspective on the show, two years after it aired? We sure hope so. It's very simple. We talk about three things. A highlight, a low light, and the very famous Cherry Coke Zero character of the episode. Yes, yes. Uh, and we hope you tune in right here on the Upford Network.
Topics of High Importance, a podcast where we get high and explore food, science, gaming, pop culture, and beyond. Filled with super tangents, forgetful flubs, and that awkward kind of tension that can only be produced by a married couple. Topics of High Importance on the Upford Network. Join us, won't you? <laughs> you talk a lot in your book and in you know, you get booked at churches and stuff to speak. Um, you talk a lot about how the church kind of helped you come to terms with your state as a person in the world and in the U.S. Like, the church kind of gave you community and it gave you a sense of belonging and a sense of understanding of, of yourself as a person. Like, what um, can, can you talk a little bit about how you got there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had attended um, Christian schools my whole entire life. So um, I was that kid who was like accepting Jesus every Friday at chapel service. Um, you know. <laughs> um, so Christianity itself wasn't new to me, uh, but I had never been to church before. Well, not never. I had been like a Sunday or two um, with like my grandmother or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but we didn't have a church home. Um and so the first time I walked into a black church, I was like, holy shit. What is this? What is this place? Um, and it was, um, it was a place where there were lots and lots, you know, like a couple hundred people who looked like me. Right. Um, there was, they were playing music that my family played at home. Um, but that like my teachers never played or that we never sang in our music class or, you know, uh, at, at school I had, um, you know, all of my teachers were white, but I had two black women who were, um, like the after school, um, workers mm-hmm. and I had no idea, but both of them attended this church. So oh, no I looked way. up literally saw the only other two black women in my whole entire life. Um, so it was, it was just this like complete experience where what was happening in my home life was like on display with lots of other people. Right. And yeah, that's amazing. Two different experiences, right? Like I would go to school, which would be one experience. and I would be at home, which was an entirely different experience. Mm. But for the first time I walked into a public space and was like, oh my goodness, this is where I belong. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to confess, now Christianity certainly had something to do with that. Um, but it was it was definitely more about just being in the majority. Right, yeah. Uh, it was about being represented. It was about seeing myself. It was about being around. It was about being in a space where we got to dictate our own culture, right? Mm. No one there to correct our language. No one was there to, you know, ask us to speak proper English. No one was there judging us about our timing or how long the service went. You know what I mean? Like we just created whatever we wanted to create. We never sang the song the same way twice. Mm -hmm. Like we would recreate songs on a very regular basis. Um, you know, like it was just, we were doing what we wanted to do. Um, and there was, very freeing about that and the fact that I didn't have to leave my faith at the door was like bonus (laughs) yeah absolutely no that sounds like a very freeing experience one of the most frustrating things for me with church was always the sort of like the confines of the music 
Because um, yeah. the my first church experience was at like a Christian day camp in the summer when I was a kid because it was the cheapest okay. camp that I could go to in my neighborhood. And my <laughs> atheist mom was okay. like, you know, I don't really want you going to church, but this camp is free. So... <laughs> Um, that's really funny and and the the music that we sang there it was always very upbeat and fun and and Mm. and sort of free like there was a lot of space to sort of improvise and play around and and enjoy yourself Mm. and then when I started Mm. going to an actual church I found it was very like even the contemporary you know Chris Tomlin type stuff was was so you know you still would sing verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus and then you're done right (laughs) and the last chorus is acapella and and everything fades out nicely (laughs) And and I I missed the sort of free flowing thing where a song could go for half an hour because people were having too much fun with it to let it finish. Right. Oh, it makes me upset when I attend white churches who are trying to be diverse. Right. And they sing the gospel song, but they sing it like you just said. Yeah. Like, <laughs> first, second verse, and you'd be like, "Wait, this is not how this goes." Well, that's like, it, yes, right? really it does. But like, no, I know that, but that's not really how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like. A lot of the time in white churches, the tendency is to try and make the song sound exactly like the recording sounded. Right. Like, that's how we do it. You should come visit us and see how we do this. (laughs) I loved uh, when when you describe uh, the way that music went at your church in the book, you say something to the effect of, we just all kind of sang whatever we wanted and interjected our own things over it. And it worked out and sounded great. I love that. True. Yes. You could always hear like there's the choir up front who Mm. more or less is on the same page. Right. And then there's right. And then there's (laughs) soloist who is like leading, who's like directing and singing at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then there's the folks in the congregation who are like, you know what? Uh, A really long hallelujah should just go right here. Yeah, <laughs> or right, or who to change the the claps? Who are like, I am just really feeling this, and they add like an extra clap mm-hmm. on the offbeat, and it's just like, yes, this is church. This is it. I I got very jealous reading that part, especially when you <laughs> you described how you were amazed that a whole room of people could clap on two and four at the same time. I mean, I like, the whole room. I remember. I like have a distinct memory of being in chapel and like singing whatever song. Who knows mm-hmm. what the song was. But looking around and thinking, why is it so hard to clap? <laughs> I do not understand. <laughs> I'm just going to pause for a moment and acknowledge that clearly <laughs> that and swaying from side to side. Like yeah. This also happens on beat. I don't understand. I was very confused as a kid. I won't lie to you. I feel that. <laughs> I once uh, I once went to an Anglican synod event, like a giant gathering of all the priests in the denomination. And, you know, I was a youth delegate, so I was just there to make it look like young people went to church. And um, mm-hmm. the the guy gets up, my buddy Zach, who, you know, we reconnected years later and now we're good friends. He, uh, he gets up and starts playing an old hymn, but he's doing a contemporary arrangement of it. And okay. by the end of the first verse, the wall of sound coming from the congregation overpowered him and he had to put his guitar down and do an acapella because they were throwing <laughs> off his rhythm. It's just brutal, you know? <laughs> it is too funny. I was I was in a gospel funny. choir for all of a month, and then the, gosp- <gasps> the choir director left, and uh, the choir shut down. I think he just got a job somewhere else and had to quit. And I was so Stop sad. <laughs> I got that one month of really good church music, and then I went back to, you know, contemporary things. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's another thing that I loved in high school. I don't think I talked too much about it in the book, but 
being a part of the gospel choir mm. in high school, oh my gosh, it was my love language. Again, especially attending a predominantly white school, you know, to be able to go into this room and, um, yeah, for us to be able to sing songs that we were used to. And mm. it was a Catholic school, so we had to like attend mass and we didn't know what was going on. Right. <laughs> like, I feel like a lot of Catholics don't know exactly what's right? going on. <laughs> Oh, let me tell you about some religion classes where my my classmates clearly did not know what the denomination they were a part of. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, we don't really believe that was like a regular question. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I think that's an important part of, of a faith, what? you know, is, is learning things that you do and don't believe and it's figuring that very out. Important. It's yeah. very important. High school is a pretty decent age to, to learn that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it, out. You know, it was really wonderful to have a gospel choir and to, yeah, to be able to have that space where we could just be ourselves. Yeah, totally. The thing you said about, um, finding people who, you know, knew the same music as you is, is such a, a true thing. Like there's nothing that I like better than finding out that someone likes the same musicals I like and then bursting into song, you know? Right. It's so true, you know, and it's, it's a way that we get to know each other. It's, it's a way that we share our love, you know, especially now that it's so easy to share videos and music with Mm -hmm. each other. You know, you get a song from a friend and, you know, it's just, it really is, um, music is so special and it was, it was a very strange experience, um, to sit and like, listen to DC talk and Michael (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they would be so excited, like when those videos came out, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Yeah, anybody got Kirk Franklin?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, like, I, don't, I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> well, um, having fun, but I don't get it. Yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of, um, you know, I, I I didn't grow up in the church. I I started going in high school, and so you know, my my church friends would be all excited about. Um, veggie tales and uh, adventures in odyssey <laughs> and all these things that were like clearly very like we grew up in christian homes kind of references and i'm like yeah but have you guys seen fraser <laughs> <laughs> right. which like to be fair fraser is like one of the whitest things i could possibly reference but it was oh, still yes, it, it was still more pop culture than anything that they were talking about and it, you know <laughs> <laughs> that's really true i'm sure this depends on the church but they do think as a general rule black churches are a little more um accepting of pop culture mm-hmm. you know not quite as afraid of it now you will definitely get some preachers who are like hip-hop is of the devil so i'm not <laughs> suggesting that <laughs> i'm not suggesting this across the board sure <laughs> um but in my experience, a lot of pastors, particularly pastors who care about young people, mm-hmm. are not nearly as afraid of pop culture and try really hard to like bring in references and things. Right. And that can go off the rails, too. But at least it's a good place, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, well, that's it. I, I think there's a tendency in churches to try and be like, what is it, within the world, but not of it? Where they're right. like, you know, we can right. we can be aware of pop culture, but we have to make sure yes. we tell the kids that Harry Potter is the devil. Because oh know. my gosh, do you remember that? Uh, fondly, <laughs> freaked out. I had I had so many arguments with with church leadership about what kind of things were and weren't okay to push aside because of you know stereotypes and and assumptions about what the the media was trying to do to our children or whatever. <laughs> and that's brutal. So, so- so 
conspiratorial yeah. <laughs> what the man is trying to do to our children. That's it. I once I was in a sermon once and the pastor referenced uh, a TV show that had been made within the past two years. And I thought, well, this is progress. <laughs> oh, the poor church. <laughs> gonna do better <laughs> that's that's my hope right my hope is that that everybody is gradually figuring out how to be better at doing the things that they're doing and uh, a new generation coming yeah Here, here's hoping here's hoping yeah i know right fingers crossed <laughs> i'm i'm happy to be in more liberal church circles now where like you know gay people are not just accepted but celebrated and and we acknowledge that the church we worship in is on stolen land and like you know there, there's there's so much that can be done right and it it doesn't take that much to do it but you just have to start doing it i agree i agree and i think I think for those churches, it's exciting to kind of like we were talking about earlier, right? That it's exciting to develop that new language mm-hmm. and um, yeah, to see how how just can we be, mm-hmm. you know, how equitable can we be, how inclusive can we be? That is just such a far more interesting question to me um, than how exclusive can we be, right? You know? Yeah, well, that's it, right? It's it's how can we allow things? How can we allow new ideas even to yeah. to come into what we're doing? And I don't yes. know. I think that's uh, honestly a thing that that helped me a lot with that was starting to do improv comedy because <laughs> as much as oh, improv sure. is definitely a cult, it's it's also the most <laughs> accepting community that you can find, right? Really? Yeah, it's. I, I highly recommend, like, if you, if there's a local improv school near you, I recommend taking a class or two because it's it teaches people how to one, it teaches you how to just kind of go with your gut in any situation, yeah. and yeah. trains your gut to be better at things than it is. Because mm. you know, if you're in a good improv school and you start making racist jokes in your first class, they're going to shut that down right away and be like, no, that's not actually funny. Let's fix that, right? Mm. So it sort of retrains your instincts, but it also makes you trust yourself more, and it makes you trust the people you're working with more. And so if people are coming at it with different experiences Mm -hmm. and doing a scene together, they're going to trust each other, and they're going to work together to make something good out of what they both bring to the table. Oh my gosh, I love that. I feel like you could easily turn this into a sermon. In a past Note life, I might to have. all the youth pastors listening <laughs> right now, <laughs> consider bringing improv to your youth group. <laughs> Eat healthy. Exercise regularly. Take cold showers. Avoid sugar. Practice yoga. Drink more water. Meditate. Practice mindfulness. Wear barefoot shoes. Avoid fat. Eat more fat. Go Try vegan. paleo. Do CrossFit. Drink bone broth. Try black P90X. Try a Thirty squats a day. Eat more day squats. Keto strong. Good protein. Get more protein. Avoid the dozen. Try a bar Drink Take an Staying healthy can feel overwhelming at times. Sometimes it feels like you have to change all your habits just to meet the baseline. But sometimes. All it takes is one little change. Ether Kombucha contains four powerful probiotic strains along with essential vitamins and antioxidants, all in a delicious, refreshing package which helps regulate digestion, support the immune system, and aid in the body's natural detox processes. Living healthier can be a treat with Ether Kombucha. Ether Kombucha. Do what works for you. For more information, follow us on Instagram at Ether Kombucha. 
So I think we're we're coming on to the last little bit of time we've got here, maybe like ten minutes. Uh, so I want to know, like, if there's if there's like one thing that you hope people get out of reading your book, what would that be? Because mm-hmm. I I want my audience to go and read this book right after yeah. finishing this episode, and there will be links to where they can buy it, like in the description. Um, sure, sure, sure. And yeah, like, what's what's sort of your if if what's the thing that you hope comes from it for for them? Yeah, I feel like um for those who are interested in going beyond a sort of one-on-one conversation about racial justice, um I I feel the need to be very honest that this is not for like someone who is just waiting in. <laughs> the, first <laughs> the first sentence will probably make you really upset. So wait until you've been in the conversation for like I don't know, just a little bit <laughs> until the I thought the first sentence makes sense. <laughs> and then um my sincere hope is that um that for this for this community who is really interested and passionate about racial justice, that we will we will continue to talk about really hard things like white supremacy and white fragility and mm-hmm. white guilt and how to genuinely be progressive, you know, how to be progressive, <laughs> you know? Um, but I also, what I don't want to lose, um, that I tried hard to bring out in this book is that I also want us to do a better job at celebrating blackness mm-hmm. and celebrating people of color and celebrating marginalized communities. Um, and because I'm a black woman, that's obviously what my, my focus is on in the book. Um, but I want to make sure that we don't get so wrapped up in talking about white culture that black culture just sort of like falls to the wayside. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I want to, I want to make sure that we're still talking about how amazing black culture is, how amazing black music is, how amazing black art is, how amazing black hair is, you know, like (laughs) not. I mean, not just the, the, like, um, like a neutral, that's what the word I'm trying to come up with. It's not like blackness isn't just neutral. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's, it's not just like accepting stuff, but it's celebrating it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Cool. Well, I I think that's like a really, that's a really good thing to want people to get out of something. I, you know, I think that's a, a positive message to go out on. Um, so, so Austin, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so I heart Twitter. Twitter is my favorite. Same. Um, <laughs> at Austin Channing. And then at Austin Channing is my IG too. Okay. Um, and then on Facebook, it's my whole name, Austin Channing Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I usually post like stories. Like Twitter is just me ranting all the time. Sure, yeah. Um, but Facebook is where I try really hard to like post things that I'm reading and articles that have come out recently so that our community can keep developing new language and new thoughts. And um, yeah, so those are the three places where, where I live on the webs. Great. And uh, and do you know offhand where they can find the book? Uh, if not, I'll, I mean, I'm just going to plug it in the description of the episode anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I think it's at all the major bookstores like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, Books a Million, all that jazz. Great. And I think by the time this airs, it will also be at Target and Walmart. Cool. I think. Sweet, yep. fantastic. Yeah, so you guys uh, should go check that out. Um, I read it; it's really great. It it 
made me laugh. It made me think really deeply about stuff. Uh, and I, it's, it's a quick read too, which is good because I'm a slow reader. Uh, like I got it done in a day and it's, it's, I think it's really worth picking up. Uh, so again, the title is I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown. Austin, thank you so much for doing this interview. This was really fun. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming. I, I seriously, I hope that you have like killer sales for this. I, I yeah, I, I believe in it. <laughs> I really appreciate you just saying that it also made you laugh because I feel like once white people start like getting to the heavy stuff, they have forgotten that they were laughing before. Yep. <laughs> um, so I appreciate that you remember like there there were things that made me laugh. This was not just a sad book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it. Like I think I think you do a really good job of of delivering the hard truth i mean it, it it's like it's the tagline of our show right we we talk we dish right. out hot truths and tasty goofs i think you do a good job of that you you have some lighter stuff in there you have some funny ideas and sentences and like you I mean, what it is is you're a good writer oh, i <laughs> so. really appreciate that because i worked really really hard <laughs> <laughs> well it shows keep up the good work thanks so much for your time i really do appreciate it of course Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Austin Channing Brown. Uh, if you like this episode, go rate and review our show on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on your podcast app of choice. Share this episode with a friend who needs to, you know, hear a conversation about racial justice and uh, might enjoy reading the book as much as I did. You can follow the show on Twitter at Down With Talking and me at Tom Zalatni. You can follow Austin at Austin Channing. Um, and uh yeah make sure to buy her book it's it's really fantastic there's a link in the description of this episode you won't regret it i yeah like i said i laughed i cried i had a lot of feelings and i think it's it's really worth reading it's important stuff and i think i'd especially encourage like white listeners to read it because it's stuff that you need to be thinking about it's 2018 uh, special thanks to Crackers and Jam for letting us use the title track off their EP Benson as our theme music. You can find all their music for sale at crackersandjam.bandcamp.com. They're also doing a GoFundMe right now to raise money for their new album, Al Casino. Album Al Casino? Album El Casino. And you can click the link in the description of this episode to go show them some love. The show is produced and edited by me for the Upford Network. You can find out all about the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Yeah, he's come to see you. Well, I say now, Benson, ja, Benson, Joe. Benson, ja, Benson, ja, do, 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 Benson, ja, Benson.